In old school games, life is cheap. Don't be a dope, bring your pull, hole, and rope. And try not to go no. No, down in a heap. I fell into a burning ring of fire. I went down, 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 and the flames, they got higher. And it burns, 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 the ring of fire, the ring of fire. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Down in the Heat podcast. I'm your host, Rob, podcasting to you live from beautiful northeast Minneapolis. I've thought for sure that the beast had returned, that it, COVID smacked me down again. But I've tested negative now with a rapid test for the last three days. And I apparently just have some really bad cold, cold flu combo. I don't know. I've been running a low-grade fever, coughing, stuffy nose, watery eyes. But the one benefit is I've uh, gotten this Johnny Cash, Barry White kind of thing going on. So I really should be doing some... Johnny Karaoke, and that's what you got a taste of at the top of the show. But I shouldn't be talking much, I don't think, so today we're going to let other people do most of the talking. It's a call-in bonanza. Oh, I forgot I had received this uh, newest version of my theme song from Taylor from Clerics Wear Ringmail, so he's doing it here, uh, picking and a grinning. Thanks, Taylor. I'll add it to the repertoire. And now back to Colin Bonanza. Hi Rob. Um, much like yourself, I'm quite a fan of the subpar, quite mundane character. And in fact, a lot of the games I run tend to fizzle out round about fifth level. Um never seem to get much higher than that and sometimes I think it's because I'm never really quite sure what to do at that point often I think it would be cool to go further and explore that and in recent years I've been sort of working my way more towards that so yeah I don't know what it is I like the exploration and uncovering the unknown Uh, talking of the unknown You can count me in for an episode on cheese. I've got no problem with that at all. I'd be most interested. Anyway, take care, mate. I'll catch you later. Of course, that was legendary anchorite Colin Green from the Spike Pit podcast. Thanks for calling in, Colin. I appreciate it. I've got some other votes of confidence on some cheese episodes, so I'll try and sprinkle those in like a little dash of Parmesan. Um... I have the kind of the same issues I've gone over before that I'm, I don't know if I'm maybe I just haven't given enough of a chance the higher level gaming or whatever um, I do feel like once characters in D&D style games get to fifth level and beyond when they can start as uh, as magic users flinging around the 
odd fireball or lightning bolt, or they have access to things like um, clairvoyance and clairaudience and stuff like that. And they have knock spells and whatnot. And actually, I think the magic starts kind of defeating the whole exploration thing. Uh, maybe I'm just looking at it wrong. Maybe instead of defeating the obstacles that are that characters are typically bound to their their five senses, they actually have to be somewhere to explore it. Or they have these barriers that they need to overcome with their own ingenuity or perhaps skills like a thief opening a lock or picking a trap. Instead, when you get higher level, you have the spellcasters kind of um, stepping in and just dealing with some of these obstacles. Whether at lower levels, it's just something like mundane, like a light spell or finding trap spells, or, uh, you know, like clairaudience, clairvoyance, knock, levitate, fly. You have these things, uh, to say nothing of upper-level spells, when you start getting things like passwall and wizard eye and transmute rock to mud and teleport and dimension door and all that. I guess it just, um, and of course magic items can fill that role too. I think it just starts changing the exploration aspect of the game a great deal. And then, of course, you just have the fact that the characters require uh, more and more difficult obstacles from a, like a combat point of view to represent a challenge. And, um, yeah, I don't know. Like I said, I have... I, I know lately, like the last 10 years, well, maybe longer, I just haven't really even played upper-level games. I mean, like, beyond fifth level, Adam always jokes that we reach the event horizon when someone gets to fifth level. And uh, I don't know if, if I am doing it on purpose or Keith is doing it on purpose to, like, just end things there, but it does seem like that's become kind of our her stopping point for whatever reason. Maybe uh, it it's also has something to do with just getting tired of that game. Um, I mean, that particular game. Sometimes you just um, grow tired of the characters or the, uh, the game setting or the game system or whatever. You just want to want something fresh. So... I think it, to have a long-running campaign requires a lot of different things to keep everyone engaged and keep things fresh. And while that's uh, largely a responsibility of the DM and you know finding interesting, cool adventures or plots or um, areas to explore. I think it's also incumbent upon the players to continue to have their characters be interesting and uh, have goals that change with their increasing power and maybe becoming involved in the campaign setting more as they become movers and shakers. But uh, yeah, that's... Uh, um, 
always an interesting thing to think about. One of these days, I'll just start the characters at third, fourth, fifth level or something and just play from there and see what happens. But not today. Not today. Thanks, Colin. Hey, Rob. Jason here. I'm pulling a Norton. I have not listened to the episode yet other than your intro. You could call your advances features. Choose another feature for your class. Choose choose another feature for your character. And for a feature, you could have communication with burrowing animals like gnomes in AD&D. Maybe you already have that. I don't know. I'll listen to your episode and find out. Okay, Rob, I stopped before the phone call section. So I guess my contest entry would fall under weird power. What about an advance that would let you... What are you doing? You're rolling D6s, right? I don't remember now. So if you're rolling something else, I guess disregard this. But I, I think you're rolling D6s. What about an advance that lets you replace one of the D6s you roll with a D8? And, and and then if you took it twice, you'd get to roll two D8s. And three times, well, if you have an edge, you'd roll three D8s. Well, I guess you wouldn't have to do that. But so, but you have it for each, I, I don't know, like for strength or might, whatever it is, and then for dex. You know, you'd have to buy it for each thing. So you wouldn't be able to have D8s across the board. It'd be two points by both D8s and strength and two points for both dex. The other comment I had was reference creating items. I definitely would I I don't like the idea of saying you can only create five items or you can only create, you know, doing a limit because that really makes you not want to take that advance. But maybe use time, right? Maybe it takes six months or a year to create an item. So if you do that, you're not going to have assembly lines because, you know, they'd have to wait. But... You know, or maybe it takes the, you know, so so long, yeah, like six months or a year to create an item. So I think that slows things down. Your idea of it temporarily drain their weird is also, excuse me, is also good. So, yeah, but, but I don't think I'd put a cap. I think I'd have the time limit, the money, the cost, and then a temporary drain of weird, I think, are good enough. All right, I'm back. It's nearly three weeks later. No, I didn't die. Um, I'm still around, although <laughs> it seems like hardly anyone's listening anymore, which I don't know. I guess I deserve. I could do a clinic on how to crater your uh, anchor numbers or your uh, your podcast numbers. Uh, thanks for calling in, Jason. I appreciate it. That idea of features, that's certainly as good a name as any for the advances or whatever and down in a heap the role-playing game. I was kind of thinking about maybe characteristics, too, as kind of a play on your character. just might be too long. Advances, though, does seem to have too many connotations to really use for these, these powers or whatever that uh, you, can, you can choose. Um, yeah, I think speaking with or having some kind of empathic ability with burrowing animals or any kind of animal or something would probably be better added to like a a weird power kind of thing and the idea of using uh having a d8 
introduced uh, rather than a d6 as part of the the main mechanism yeah that could that could be interesting it would raise the potential roll so you could potentially do more damage i suppose so it would be different than just you know having a modifier or i don't i just want to i want to be careful about raising the potential roll too high or whatever um so i don't know i'd have to i think that would be something that i'd look at after i've play tested it and as a potential introduction just to i think using the base mechanics uh, as presented in kind of a maze rat setup first to see how it actually runs with the the tweaking i'm doing before i start messing around with even more dice mechanics i, I think might be the more prudent course but uh, it's it's definitely an interesting angle i hadn't considered so thanks for that and the uh, idea about crafting and stuff, you're probably right that if you set a, a limit, a hard limit on how many you can make, that that might dissuade some people from taking it. However, I think having a really long time requirement would be just as much of a quasher. I mean, if, if it takes you six months of game time or, or longer to craft something, I think most players would say, pfft. Forget that. When do I ever get a six months of game downtime to quietly work in my in my shop or my laboratory or something? So I don't know if that's. I think if you have like weeks, that might be more palatable. But uh, I I do think I'm just going to settle around with with having temporary weird loss and uh, and maybe if you completely botch it you permanently lose some weird or something or or your the weird gets you lose it but it does like get sucked into the item and and enhances the power of it somewhat or something so it's not like a complete loss but it but it is um it is a, a setback in ways i don't know something to keep noodling around with and uh and now we'll move on to uh some calls from taylor from the clerics wear ringmail blog podcast and youtube channel take it away taylor morning rob this is taylor of cleric square ringmail calling in listening to your episode on advancements and the down in a heap role-playing system first thought you have the advancement quack do you have a duck race you need a duck race duck race gets plus one to quack Oh, the ducks. <laughs> That's, you know, that, I hate to say it, but the ducks in RuneQuest are one of the reasons why I kind of never pursued playing that game. <laughs> it just it just seemed so weird. It would be easy enough to just jettison them, but I, it, I don't know. I'm sure it's a fine game, and I'm sure, well, I'm not sure. But maybe ducks are cool if I actually read about them or something, or uh, I don't know. <laughs> it just it just seems like one of the some kind of deliberate attempt to be weird and wacky, and usually deliberate attempts to be weird and wacky fall short with me. Um, I'm not much into whimsy, if you haven't been able to tell already. Thinking about the name, I had to re-record 
my first message because I accidentally called them skills. I think advances is a better name than skills for two reasons. One, though some of them seem like they could be skills, others don't necessarily seem as much. There's a lot more freedom in not tying them to skill, which has a mundane connotation. But two, I like that advances offer stuff that you can do, but makes sense. In feat systems, feats and class features for mundane tasks reduce player agency by restricting what they can and can't do. The advances that you're reading so far are more specialized. That is, if someone hasn't programmed before and you hand them a developer environment, they're not going to be able to write code. That makes more sense from a game perspective as an advance and from a verisimilitude perspective. In other systems, you may have something like jump higher. That's... no, that, that sucks. I think you get that. I think that's a concept that you understand, and it's reflected in the advances you've authored so far. I would also like to offer some encouragement. Don't go overboard. You're making them generic, and I think that's a good thing. Fewer is better, and the reason I say that, I once went down the rabbit hole of trying to make an extensive skill system, and I remember I was talking to a buddy, and I'm like, I'm coming up with these cool new rules to allow a martial arts character to kick. And then he pointed out, well, you have this other feat from the original edition where you can sacrifice accuracy for power. There's your kick right there. So it's very hard to avoid redundancy. I'm glad you do like the approach I'm taking with advances, and I agree with you that in general, more... or. <laughs> Oops, less is more in this kind of s setup. I, I do think it's very difficult to avoid redundancy when you start going into these really uh, specific kind of tasks and stuff. And while I, I'm not familiar with playing games with feats and stuff like that, I, I have heard complaints about feat systems where they become these you know, volumes that are just devoted to all these different feats and it kind of becomes... Um, for some people, um, a, a bit burdensome to, to track all this stuff down. For some people, it's a really fun activity to build your character and figure out how to, how to construct, uh, the perfect beast for, well, how you envision your character and stuff. But, uh, I want this to be a very simple game. So I don't want to get into, you know, lists of 50 different advances or something, uh, just that's not what I want and like I alluded to before there's there's a ceiling and how far you can get so you know there's there's not much of a chance that you're going to have all these characters look ex looking exactly the same even if you don't have that many options but uh, yeah uh, now Taylor has some more calls relating to experience points lastly thinking about XP the purpose of XP is to shape an experience. From a player perspective, it's, of course, how you advance your character, level up and get to be broken. But from a meta perspective, XP is the way that you shape the function of the game. It's a way that you reinforce archetypes, and it's a way that you can maintain tone. So from that perspective, roleplay experience can be very, very hard to do. 
what I have seen fail and what I intentionally don't do is, oh, you did a funny voice. You get bonus. Oh, you uh, tried to seduce someone with your horny bar. You get a bonus. That doesn't work because it needs to be objective. If it's subjective, then you run into problems like you had mentioned where the concept of the character is different between referee and player and it kind of kind of turns into a situation where the referee is trying to tell you how to play your character instead it needs to be something concrete 2e tries this and fails uh, because the bonuses in 2e are disproportionate where the thief who gets bonus XP for gold retrieved is going to get a lot more bonus XP than the magic user who gets it for casting spells, but their heart was in the right place. The purpose of those roleplay awards was to reinforce the archetype that the class was supposed to fill in the party and in the story. From my own heartbreaker, I tried to do something similar. So elves, for example, are kind of otherworldly and they don't because of their longevity, understand value and commerce and that kind of stuff. So the elf receives bonus experience for gold that they relinquish or waste, something that the other races don't get. That is not to say that my idea is best idea uh, or that roleplay XP is intrinsically good or bad, but that in order for it to work, it kind of needs to be predefined as to what it is, and it needs to be an objective measure. Oh, those are my thoughts for uh, for this episode. I'd love to hear you back on the mic, and I would totally listen to the cheesiest podcast you could come up with. Peace out. Definite agreement that uh, experience points should be given to reinforce the kind of game themes that uh, the table enjoys and that you're trying to pursue and that they should be, as you as you word it, and I, I think is a, a good way to express it, they should be about objective things rather than subjective things. So I want a really concrete kind of thing that you get experience points when you explore things, you get experience points when you recover treasure, and you get experience points when you overcome obstacles and foes and whatever. So, I mean, I, I really want it defined by you're an adventurer and this is what, in this world, this is what adventurers are doing. And, um, I don't, I I think it's a very slippery slope to get into the idea of rewarding role playing. Even if you're doing things like, um, letting the players decide, for instance, like who, was the who had the best session or who added most to the fun and all that it's just uh, i don't know i i that all is very dependent on the group dynamics and stuff and it might work great for some people but i in general i think you're just open up pandora's box to see what comes out and i don't see much upside to doing this uh, it's it's interesting because uh, in the interval since uh, Taylor sent these messages and my last episode and all that, Jason over at Nerds RPG Variety Cast has ta- been talking uh, more about uh, AD&D First Edition and how 
uh, part of the leveling up process there outlines how the the dm kind of gives a, a grade to each of the players and based upon how they almost like uh you know grading their performance as a as a thief or a magic user as a fighter how did they did they role play their alignment well did they do the things that well at least the dm thinks that a fighter should be doing or a paladin should be doing or a cleric or whatever and that <clears throat> that grade that they give determines how many weeks is required to train for the for the character and the the kooky thing in in AD&D is uh, I I can't remember if it's something like fifteen hundred gold pieces per week of training or something, and and it's based also upon your level and stuff. But you know, if you get like a poor grade or a mediocre grade, and it takes you three or four weeks of training, uh, <laughs> it would have it would require so many gold pieces that you would have had the gold that you recovered would have put you up a, a level or two even higher at low level. So to it just, it just doesn't work. I'm sorry, but it it just is at odds with the whole gold experience point uh, setup. Uh, to pay for training, you'd have to recover so much gold that you you'd always be like a level behind or something. Um, you'd be like stuck, like a, an experience point from advancing from the next one because you're still having to find enough gold to pay for your training and stuff. It's uh, Anyway, that is uh, outlining the whole like grading performance of the of the players and and yeah, I I don't get into the whole idea of kind of having the the DM or the the referee or whatever being the arbiter of did you play your character right correctly? It, it I don't I don't jive with with somehow telling, yeah, I think it, it is on some level kind of telling the, the players how to play their character. And I also don't want it to be a contest of see, see who's the best actor or who is the best comedian or whatever. You know, it's, uh, I want it to be about an adventure game. And that's what I give experience points for, going out on adventures and doing, doing the stuff that adventures are... Um, do to keep that kind of theme flowing. Anyway, thanks for the calls. Uh, now it's kind of a grab bag of calls from Jason and Daniel and Joe and uh, I think some more from Taylor. I don't know. Let's let's see what we what we got here in the queue. By the way, that auto hit mechanic, like into the odd, that's also used by a. A, a new RPG that's sweeping the land called Osseus by Keep Off the Borderland Productions. The author is a is a recluse named, well, I, I won't say his name because if you say it three times he appears, but yeah, Osseus, the new sensation, also has auto hits. Hey Rob, Jason here. I'd love to hear you yammer about cheese, so Put it out there. Yeah, just mark it. Cheesemonger speaks. It, you know, and no big deal. People will probably still tune in. I will. Sounds like Minion, also known as Rob, will as, as well. So, yeah, it'd be interesting. But remember, most of us don't know much about it. 
So at least for the first episode, do Cheese 101 or something like that. In fact, I hear that... Well, never mind. I won't say that because I'll show my ignorance. Yeah, Cheese 101 is good. Hey, Rob. Jason here. Really enjoyed the Mirror Mirror episode. You, you know, it's interesting. I, As you know, I reached out to you on Discord and had a private discussion with you before sending this message in. And I think one thing that maybe doesn't always come across in your show is that your players have input and house rules that you guys discuss it and your house rules are more of a living document and there's back and forth between you, you and the players where my experience house rules tend to be when I join a game as a player, the GM tends to hand you a sheet of paper, say, these are my house rules and the player and, and I don't remember ever having input in house rules as a player. So I think you you approach house rules a little differently than a lot of GMs do. But I, I think it's a, a good thing, especially if it Im- improves experience. Uh, hopefully the game goes well. I look forward to hearing about it. And I hope this gets you back on track in gaming. Take care. By the way, talking about the investment for computer or Wi-Fi and, and whatnot... You know, I've got like a $350 laptop. It's getting pretty old now. But as far as Roll20 goes, it does fine. You don't have to get some expensive, fancy machine to get on these platforms and and play on them. So I, I understand the resistance. And honestly, my preference is doing Zoom or something and, and not doing all theater of the mind. And then you could put a map up. You know, because Zoom has a whiteboard feature, so you can put a map up and people can see it, and they could even write on the map if they need to. So I kind of rather do that than roll twenty. But if that's the way things are going, you you could definitely get a bottom of the barrel machine and and be able to do that without a problem. So don't definitely don't feel you'd have to spend tons and tons of money to play on a virtual tabletop. Hey, thanks for the calls again, Jason. I'll name him. It's uh, Spencer. He's the the master of mastermind behind Asias, aka Freethrall from Keep Off the Borderlands. I think he designed that game back when we were doing that Anchorites Appreciate Arneson month and came up with like, uh, is that one it was from? Man, that was a long time ago. Um, what else? House rules, yeah. I, I mean, that's the spirit that I always try to have with these things. And, and a lot of it has developed. I, I, I refer to my, my experiences in like fantasy football and rotisserie baseball and stuff, but that was much more of a uh, back and forth about what, how to set up scoring systems and contracts for players and whether you're using a draft or an auction and, uh, retention of players and we had all these rules and rules debates and stuff and it was great I loved it you know it was uh, it was kind of honing the game and making it more and more interesting as we kind of went along in our in in our league's histories and stuff while the spirit is there I think there isn't a whole lot of discussion with my with my gaming friends about rules I mean though occasionally there'll be um, some discussion and stuff and and I try I think to to have that spirit but I think maybe the the players just aren't nearly as invested as I am but and that's largely why this podcast came about because I wanted to talk about gaming and aside from Keith most of my gaming friends don't really 
you know, they're not into it as much, or at least it doesn't, the differences between these different, you know, little OSR rule sets or, or character creation or whatever, it just doesn't matter as much. They just, you know, more, they just want to show up and play and hang out with their friends and stuff, which is cool. I totally appreciate that aspect and that, that angle and what's fun for, for, for people is different. So I'm, as much as I'd like to, uh, have input from, from my players and stuff. And I, I think we have a really open dialogue. I mean, we've, we've known one another, a lot of us for at least five years and going back to 40 years. So there's, there's certainly, um, it's not like we lack familiarity or bashful about speaking our minds or anything like that. Um, but I think there's just different interest levels within our group about what matters in the game. Uh, and I think a lot of players uh, are maybe have the stance of, let's just let the, the DM make the rules they want, and if they're happy, it's probably going to be a better game if they're happy. So that might be kind of where people are coming from. Um, and, uh, and there might be a kernel of truth to that. I don't think that it's a good situation to have uh, a referee basically just hand the group this. These are the new rules. You have no say in it other than if you don't like it, there's the door. I mean, I think that's a pretty bad attitude to have about anything, really, uh, not to be open to different ideas and different uh takes on things um you know who has the final say i don't know we used to have actual rules for that in our fantasy football and baseball leagues you know it took it took a majority plus one to actually change anything from the original like document of of rules like the, the league constitution or whatever so i mean there, there were votes and stuff, and we don't have anything formalized like that in our gaming group, and I, I don't know of anyone that actually does have anything like that formalized in their, their uh, RPG game group, because it's a, it's a very different kind of thing. It's not a, a competitive thing. There's, like, no money on the line or anything like that, so it's, it's a very different set of circumstances, but, but I do miss the the back and forth from my old fantasy leagues and stuff, sports leagues and stuff, because it was, uh, it was very engaging. And while it could be rancorous at times too, and people would get kind of angry about it, <laughs> it was at least, uh, spirited and, and, uh, and very, uh, um, yeah, it kind of, it was, it was very interesting and, and, uh, you knew people were, at least some people are very into it, and sometimes I don't get that feeling as much from the RPG gaming group. It's uh, it's very nice sometimes when everyone's got a laid-back attitude and just kind of laissez-faire um, and uh, come what will, come what may. Uh, but, but it's nice to see a little bit of rise in passion, too, from time to time, to know that people actually care. And that's, I mean, I, one of the things I love about the podcast is that you get this feedback from people and you, you've got listeners out there that are invested and engaged and stuff like that. But, 
um, I don't know. I gotta, I gotta find my, my mojo again in a lot of ways for doing these podcasts and stuff because I, I feel like I'm, I'm losing steam and, um, whatever. (laughs) I'm just rambling now. Blah, 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 blah. I think if I do some cheesy episodes, I, I came up with a name or maybe I'll, the question is whether or not to just like embed cheese related episodes into down in a heap or to create an entirely different podcast devoted to cheese. Uh, I'm not sure which I'm going to do, but I think I've got a name though. Uh, I haven't looked to see if it's already taken, but controlled spoilage. Rob, Daniel from Manus keep calling in, um, catching up here. So yeah, I, I feel you feel you on the, uh, starts and stops. I think we all do that, to be honest, so I wouldn't uh, take it too hard there. Uh, One of the things that I try to do is never really plan for a campaign. You know, I always try to do one shots, two shots, three shots with a group in a certain set of characters. And then if we're enjoying it, and then it's like, hey, you guys want to play, you know, BX again? And then somebody's like, well, can I play that same character? Next thing you know, you know, you're in a campaign and that's generally how I've done it and had pretty good luck with it. Um, not always, but generally. And I think that helps relieve the whole idea of making a massive plan and then having it fall apart because either you get bored with it by the time you get it to the table or players, you know, can't play, whatever happens. So I don't know. That's just some stuff that I've done. I guess the other thing too, is that as fun as it is to mess with the rules. And I mean, <laughs> I'm not one to talk here, creating a whole game, basically. Um, I think that the constant uh, tinkering of the rules before you start playing can also delay things, you know, like oftentimes when I'm just doing these one shots and I'm talking about, I'll just play straight BX or straight OD and D like nothing modified, literally buy the book, no extra classes, no nothing. Then again, if it picks up a new campaign, we can start messing around with things and say, okay, you know what? Uh, we're really playing this world. It's really cool. And we've established that halflings are master swordsmen, I'm going off the cuff here. So if you if anybody who's playing Halfling is going to get a bonus with the sword, whatever it might be. And that's kind of how I implement my house rules because I feel like if you spend a lot of time working up, working up rules and then you don't uh, go far in the campaign, it will feel like possibly wasted time. Unless you just really love tinkering with the rules, of course. Of course, I say this uh, fully in the middle of you talking about the rules changes you're going to do for straight BX. <laughs> I love it. Um, I actually really like your thief idea. What I did, so the things that I've done when I ran as close to BX as possible with house rules, I only had a very couple of rules. One was that uh, the thief could do a specialty, kind of like what you're doing there, and that skill was four levels higher. Um, so I did that. And I actually gave fighters a free set of armor and did what you did. I raised the prices of all the armor. So that basically, if you're going to play a fighter, you get to start with a suit of plate mail. And no dwarf could ever do that. And that was what I did. It only gives them the boost at the beginning, but I felt like that that was enough and we had human fighters. So, um, but anyways, I, I, I always love listening to your breakdowns of the rules. I, I don't uh, share the same dislike for things like fancy and magic, but at the same time, um, I can totally respect that position. And, uh, and I, I'm glad you're sticking with clerics not having spells at first level because I really do think that changes the vibe of the game when you can heal right away. In a lot of ways, I'm with you on the level drain thing. I, I think it's <laughs> not because I, I don't want to say it's care because that's going to make me sound adversarial, but I don't necessarily care that people, uh, you know, lost that couple months worth of work because I honestly feel like if you lost a level at a higher level, 
if you're still adventuring with the party, unless you get drained from like five to one or something, that would really be terrible. But even if you did, um, you the way the levels are set up is that if you just continue to adventure with that same level of party, uh, you know, and make it through like one adventure or two, you're going to level right back up because they'll, you know, it's scaled that way. So it's not actually as big of a problem as it seems on paper, at least in my experience. But one thing I might implement if I was going to do it, um, uh, not talking about your game, I think you're doing it fine, but um, is I might give a saving throw because Astonishing Swordsman and Sorcerer Hyboria does that. I think that's pretty good. Nobody's been level drained there yet, but man, when I say make that saving throw, you're going to lose a level, like everybody puckers up a little bit. So <laughs> I think it definitely adds that extra fear of undead. And those messages, of course, were from Daniel from Bandit's Keep podcast and YouTube channel. And I, he might have a blog too. And Jason says he's got some stuff on drive through to sell. I, I should <laughs> check it out. Uh, thanks for the calls, Daniel. It's uh, I think you are correct for sure that it's a common malady for a lot of gamers to have these starts and stops. I For all... <clears throat> the. The few people I hear talk about, you know, long running campaigns that they've had, um, for every one of those gamers that is actually quote unquote successful in having a long term campaign, there's probably 20 of us out there that, <laughs> that have these sputtering, chitty, chitty, bang, bang campaigns that, you know, uh, that start and stop and resume or, or just, die on the vine i think that's the most common thing f for a lot of these games what you describe is probably the healthiest thing to do just not have expectations going into the game and if and if you find yourself suddenly whoa wait a minute we've played six sessions maybe we should start taking this more seriously or um that's probably the best way to just go about doing it rather than uh doing this exhaustive planning and the same might be true of house rules and stuff. I have this very defined, like, Oh, but if I've, I've got to get it right from the start because I don't want to retrofit something like, Oh, you know, if, if we're playing after two or three levels and then we decide, Oh, we're going to, uh, we are going to give an, a, a bonus spell for high intelligence. Well, wait a minute, Roger the magic user's third level and he he never got any bonus spells. Um so there's there's this like switch in my head that sometimes I can't like throw to a different position and I'm just too like literal minded or too uh set in this it's gotta be this way kind of thing. Um I'm not that way about many things, but for some reason there's just like this part of me that has to have things make sense from the from the get-go and be you know and have anticipated some of these things it's the same thing with my adventure design and and when i'm reading scenarios and stuff like that trying to like make it work in my head because i'll i'll see something like well this is dumb why <laughs> why why did they use this monster or something and then i change it or why is there this motivation or this would be better and the next thing i know <clears throat> the the canned module I bought, I, I'm using basically the maps and and almost everything else has changed. Or they'll be like, I'll be reading it. This has happened a lot lately when I've been reading modules. There are so many freaking magic items that they're giving out in some of these things. Uh, I don't know. That's, that's something I... 
maybe I'm probably too stingy or something, but, uh, wow. Some of these, some of these modules have just loads and loads of magic items. And even if they're, you know, pretty mundane kind of things, it's, um, if they find everything, it's like, well, they're third level, but they've each got six magic items. Uh, I don't know where else were we? Oh, undead. Yeah. I, I'm a hundred percent. If you're, if you're going to use like level drain as outlined in old school game, old school D and D kind of games, I think there should at least be a saving throw. Just my, uh, my position. And I think in, in general, it's better reworked. A lot of these, like, um, what you talk about as far as like, okay, you're, you're a fourth level fighter and you get energy drained down to second level. Um, oh, well, if you're adventuring with the, the other fourth level guys, you'll, you'll quickly, you'll get back to fourth level before their fifth level or something. I hear that argument. I hear it from my, my buddy Keith, but, uh, believe me, sometimes you get on that, that conveyor belt and you, your character dies and you're always the weakest link and you end up dying and dying and dying because you've always got the fewest hit points unless you just play total coward and and cringe in the back and just kind of like be the tag along guy um but uh been there done that and it's it's not always a bed of roses and i it, i finally kind of got there with my what was it my third or fourth magic user at some point but even then, I was a level behind everyone else. Otto was fourth level, and everyone else was like fifth. And I think Adam's cleric, God, it seemed like he was sixth level. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, I, on paper, it makes sense. But but when you, when you do suddenly find yourself like second level when everyone else is fourth or, or worse yet, you die and you start over at first level and everyone else is fourth level and you're basically like as bad as the henchmen they got tagging along with them or the, the men at arms and stuff. Um, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's tough to survive when you're, when they're going down into the third, fourth level of the dungeon or whatever, and you're rocking six hit points and, and one spell or, or something, uh, totally with you on the cleric though. I, I'm, I think it it changes the game for the better when the when the cleric isn't ramped up at first level. All right, now a couple more messages. We'll close it out. Thanks, Daniel. Hey, Rob. I thought your Lord of Avarice episode was really really cool, man. For me, that's my favorite part of world building. Is my mind comes up with these questions, and then it's like, okay. How do I answer these in a fun, interesting, cool way? And you nailed it on that, right? Like different questions occur to different people and different things bother different people in terms of world building. But you you found a thing that was bugging you and you came up with a really cool, fun, you know, in-world solution for the, the answer to the question, man. So kudos to you. That was an awesome episode, dude. Keep it up and I'll talk to you soon. Peace out. Morning, Rob. This is Taylor from Cleric Square Ringmail calling in, talking about a previous episode. I will leave it to you to figure out which one. Regarding cycling through homebrews, I don't really consider that a failure, provided that you're enjoying it. And your players, they keep coming back. They keep playing with you, don't they? If that's the case, 
And that being the case, that means they're at least neutral about it. You are more interesting than television. If they didn't like it, they would tell you, or they would stop showing up. And talking about blame, the blame aspect that in the sense of root cause is accurate. You're wanting to run a game and not getting to. Yes, that's because of you, but it's not a negative thing. I mean, look at me. I ran games consistently for a quarter century, and then I had children. (laughs) I have run literally two games since my children were born. Uh, There was a different break uh, where I took... I was briefly unemployed and homeless in 2009. Didn't run games then either. Recall your COVID kick. That was quite literally a kick in the chest. So sometimes it's okay not to be running a game. Sometimes it's okay to get a little bit behind. Life will put you down, but the only way to truly fail is to let it keep you there. So don't. Uh, I hope you weren't being hard on yourself, because sometimes taking a break is necessary. And thinking about the down-in-a-heap role-playing game, looking at some of the cool concepts you've got going on, and wait a minute, is this Ascending Armor class? Ew! I recant all support that I've given you so far. Just just messing around. Love you, Rob, and I love to hear your voice. Talk to you later. And there we heard some words of encouragement from Joe from Hindsightless and Taylor from Clerics or Ringmail. I appreciate it, guys. I appreciate all the calls I got today or <laughs> in the last month or whatever the hell it is. Um, it's great to uh, have some you know, interested caller or interested listeners that, um, that contribute to the show, uh, kind of get me back on point, um, help keep me motivated to keep doing this. Although I got to admit there are times where I, I really do feel like maybe I'd be better focusing my energy more on actually creating, um, stuff for my games and stuff. Uh, sometimes if I have a day off, I'll think, well, I'm going to just do a quick podcast. And next thing I know, uh, I'm looking at the clock and it's two in the afternoon and I haven't done Jack when I was planning on, you know, detailing a town or something for my campaign setting or, uh, making up a new dungeon or whatever, you know, and, and just never did anything or reading some kind of scenario or something. So sometimes uh, I think my energy would be better spent working on my game rather than working on my podcast. So I don't know. Coming up here, I, I do feel like I'm kind of losing my uh, losing steam. Um, that last podcast I did, the Lord of Avarice, the Quickie Thoughts. I, I think I got I'm sitting at like 54 listens, which is abysmal for me, and. It, it just started kind of going down uh, the last three or four episodes. I feel like I'm just shedding listeners, um, which is a little disheartening. I, you know, I've never done it to be... I didn't get in this to become an influencer or to become some kind of scenester in the, in, in the old school gaming community or anything or... Like I said earlier, I did it mainly because it's like uh, my friends wouldn't talk to me about freaking gaming and I wanted to talk about gaming. Um, (laughs) 
and all of you have been uh, gracious enough to oblige me in that, so I appreciate it. And uh, before I completely forget here, I've thrown some names in the hat uh, to determine who actually won the last Minerzine giveaway. Um, so, drum roll, please. That doesn't sound like a drum roll. That sounds like some kind of uh, uh, Shoggoth or something. Let's see. We have Jason Connerly, Nerds RPG Variety Cast. You are the winner of a Minerzine. I will contact you privately, Jason, to uh, see which... One, I think I've got four and five still. Maybe it's three and five. I can't remember. I've, I think I've got still two Mitterzine copies. So congratulations. And uh, thanks again for contributing to this call-in bonanza. I'm not sure when exactly I'll be podcasting again. Maybe I'll catch fire. Maybe I'll get the fever again and uh, get back on a regular schedule. Or maybe I won't see it till summer. I don't know. Either way, um, yeah, be well, be happy, keep gaming, don't go down in a heap. Oh, I almost forgot. It's been so long since I got messages and stuff uh, that uh, Taylor from Clerics Wear Ringmail is a new father. So congrats to Taylor and his wife on the new addition to their part, their Dungeoneering party. <laughs> I think he said uh, his, his twin boys were uh, a fighter and a wizard, and now he's got a cleric for the party. So congrats. Hope you're all doing well. My strength has returned. My wounds have healed. Thanks to Ariel's magic. Nothing to it. It's all in the wrist. Time to go, Ariel. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.